So what we celebrate tonight together is the life of God, the abundant life of God that we've been reflecting on throughout this Lenten season at Church of the Cross, that this life prevails over death, over sin, over the devil, over all the manifestations of these dark powers that pervade our world and even pervade our own hearts, over civil war in Syria, over famine in North Africa, over racial injustice in America, over the brothels in Calcutta, over the greed of Wall Street, over pornography, over abuse, over alcoholism and drug addiction, over the pride, ambition, and selfishness of the human heart, over the lying, cheating, and betrayal that mark all human relationships and all human communities. The resurrection life of God prevails over all anxiety, insecurity, and fear, these things that so easily pervade our lives. And through the resurrection of Jesus, the God of life declares that throughout, through the cacophony of sin and suffering, of fear and anxiety, that he and his will for life prevail, that he and his grace prevail, that he and his power prevail, that he and his love prevail, that life and light and goodness prevail not death and darkness and, in, and evil. In the risen Jesus that we celebrate and declare together tonight, God has planted a flag in the new creation ground of life that will fly forever. In Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, God is unambiguously declaring that the longed-for promise of new creation a version 2.0 of the world in which we live will come when the lion will lie down with the lamb, in which there will be no mourning, no crying, no, no pain, and where death shall be no more, and where every tear will be wiped away from your eyes and my eyes. And this new creation includes a version 2.0 of humanity, a new creation, deathless humanity, over which sin and death hold no power, Jesus is alive. That's what we're declaring together tonight. He's risen, and he is the prototype of this new human being. And from the vantage point of our tears and our beleaguered bodies, from this world of wars and this world of famines, this is great news, and this is what animates our celebration and our joy tonight. The abundant life prevails. But the celebration runs deeper and this is at the heart of this mystery that we proclaim in the Christian church. Because we've been invited, you and I have been invited to be on the inside of this wonderful news. We're not just looking back at the resurrection of Jesus and being amazed, or because of that, looking forward to the new creation and being hopeful. But resurrection is also about now. It's about today. It's about the present. It's about you and it's about me. It's about our lives. It's about our hopes, our dreams, our fears. Jesus didn't just pass through death for himself, but he did it for you and for me. He did it for us as a forerunner. And with his feet now firmly planted on resurrection ground, he calls each one of us to come to him and come to life, to come to abundant life. He's saying, dry bones, dry bones, let me breathe my breath of life upon you. Let me knit you back together. Let me give you life. Let your death-bound, sin-dominated, stone-hearted, in-Adam humanity be left behind. 
and join me on the other side in life, irrevocable, divinely given, everlasting life. Jesus, having parted the Red Sea of death, invites each of us, and that's true, each of us, no matter how lost we feel tonight, no matter how dry or dead that we feel, no matter how unworthy that we think we are, no matter how dark our lives have become, no matter how much we've ignored his call up to this point in our lives, Jesus invites us to pass through on dry ground and to escape from the sin and death that have backed us into a corner and to take the safe passageway on the path that he has cleared into abundant life, an abundant life that begins now and never ends. And when we take this path by the sheer grace and gift of God, we become a part of the reality that we are celebrating and declaring together tonight. Life. We enter into life. And this becomes our reality. What we're going to do briefly is just look at three basic questions that Paul speaks to in Romans chapter 6. How do we take that path? How do we answer this call from Jesus standing on resurrected ground? What is true of us when we do receive that call and answer it? And then what does that mean for living, for our lives right now and today? So how do we answer the invitation? Paul gets to this right off the bat in verse 3 of Romans 6. If you've got your Bible, open up to Romans 6. He says he's writing to all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. To be baptized into Christ is to accept the call, the invitation. It's to acknowledge that this resurrected man is truly the Lord of the world. And it is also to admit our sinfulness, our natural propensity to cling to self-will, to fear and anxiety, to all the things for which Jesus went to the cross and to receive the gift of forgiveness, the gift of liberation that he offers to us freely. It is to renounce any other Lord or master in our lives and to serve Jesus, the risen King, alone at any cost as the sole Lord of our life who gives us life. This kind of response isn't a half-hearted admission that God is probably there or that Jesus is a really good guy It's not the general feeling of remorse when we do something that we know is wrong. This is something far deeper that grips us far more uh, rawly in the depth of our hearts. This is being cut to the heart. Knowing that we are unsound at the core of our being, knowing that we are terminally ill, and that Jesus, through his work on the cross, is the sole and certain cure. Faith is is desperate in this sense. It knows that on one side of us there is a great chasm and on the other an approaching enemy for whom our strength is no match and that the only option in this predicament is to cling to Jesus. It knows that every other path out of that predicament is only a dead end. And so faith clings to Jesus as desperately and strongly and as urgently as when you slam on the brakes when somebody jumps out in front of you when you're driving your car. And this response doesn't just change the way that we spend a couple of Sundays each month when we don't have anything better to do. It's actually life-altering. It changes the way that you approach your calendar, your bank account, your heart, your goals, your concerns, your relationships, because these things and your very life itself are no longer your own but they belong to the one who had gone before you and who beckons you to come to him and who says the only way you'll come to me is if you'll lay down your only son 
and give me all of yourself. All that I have is yours. This response to the call is what we call repentance and faith. And it's this that leads to the outward administration of baptism. And you'll see in a little bit when we come to renew our baptismal vows in a few minutes that in the heart of this baptism is the renunciation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the embrace, that desperate and clinging embrace and giving of our allegiance to this risen King Jesus as Lord. This is how we accept that invitation that Jesus is issuing to all of us from his risen throne. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are alive. Jesus, your death on the cross is the only remedy for my life, for the wrong that I know is deep inside me, for the darkness that I can't seem to get away from, for the, the, the anxiety that just continues to plague me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe that you've been raised. Do you believe? Did you catch that after the Exodus reading? That after God parted the sea and Israel walked through on dry ground, it said, they, then Israel feared the Lord and they believed in God because they had seen him do such a mighty work. We answer the call through repentance and faith. We answer the call by clinging to him for life. And this then is number two, where the miracle begins to happen. Right now, in the present, for you and for me, as we begin to turn, as we believe and trust in this Jesus, Paul says that this repentance and faith, in his words, this baptism, unites us to this Jesus who beckons us. And particularly, he says it unites us with his death and his resurrection, all of which is signified in the act of baptism as we're buried in the waters and raised to new life. We're made one with Jesus. And so what is true and real for Jesus becomes true and real for us. I bet some of you in this room, I've never done it, but I bet some of you have done tandem skydiving. The crazy ones here. So as the master skydiver, skydiver jumps, you jump. Because you're united to him. You're yoked with him. You're latched onto him. And as he free falls so gloriously, you free fall so gloriously. You don't really have a clue what you're doing. You would be dead and squashed on the earth below if you weren't attached to him in this moment. But you're strapped to him. And as he pulls his cord to release the chute, your chute opens too. Because your chute is his chute. And his landing safely on the ground is your landing safely on the ground below. Why? Because you're strapped to him. You're tied to him. You're united to him. And what Paul says is that faith, this turning to Jesus as the risen king, is what unites you and binds you to Jesus so that what is true of Jesus, that what Jesus does, you do. That what's happened to him has happened to you. And he says this in two particular ways. First, that you have died with Christ who died to sin and came out from under its dominion. This is tandem death and resurrection. Jesus dies and you die. Christ took the wages of sin upon himself on the cross as we meditated upon last night together. He paid the toll. And now for him, it's just clear and open highway. And verse 9 declares that this Jesus who has been raised will never die again. Death and sin no longer have dominion over him. He's done it. He's paid the price. He's gone through the gate. 
And what Paul says is that by faith, you become united with Christ and your in Adam, enslaved, sin-bound humanity dies with Jesus. These are his words, Paul's words. We were baptized into his death, buried therefore with him by baptism into death. We have been united with him in a death like his. Our old self was crucified with him. We have died with Christ. And the result of that death is liberation from the one power in the world. Now, you may not know what to call that power in your life tonight. We call it in the Christian church sin. But that power in the world that diminishes your life, that puts you at the center of everything, as one of our meditations so beautifully reflected on tonight, that cripples you with pride and ego and a need to be on top, that's what we call sin. And that is what we have been liberated from by this death once and for all. So that Paul can say in verse 7, the one who has died has been set free from sin. That death is a liberation. And it's a liberation from that force and power in the world that destroys your humanity. That makes you less than you were meant to be. But that promises, promises you that you will become more than you are right now. If you will only do its beck and call. And so we've died with Jesus. And we've been, secondly, raised with Christ to new life. Listen to Paul. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are those who have been brought from death to life. This prototype of the new humanity who calls to us from resurrection ground, this resurrected Jesus is our life now. For you have died, Paul says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because Christ lives, you who have been united to him by faith, strapped on his back, carried across the sea of death, you live too. You're alive. Resurrected. Today, now, You've crossed over the, uh, to the other side where Jesus is, where sin and death no longer have dominion. They no longer have rule. They no longer have power. And you've literally died and been brought back to life in Jesus. And this is life. This is the whole point. This is abundant life that we've been discussing for seven weeks or six weeks or however long it's been at Church of the Cross. This is life unriddled by anxiety and fear. This is life, not on the treadmill, exhausting yourself day in and day out, trying to keep up with the next guy, and you don't know why, you're just doing it. This is restful life. This is life that fi that's filled with the kind of joy that you long to taste and experience, a joy that flows out of the depth of your heart, a joy that's there and present in even the darkest of circumstances. This is the life that comes from knowing who you are. From not ever having to wonder again, who am I? I know who I am. I've been brought to, to, to God. I'm his child. I'm made in his image. I've been given a deep purpose to serve him with my life and to reflect him to the world. I know who I am. And I don't have to wait. I don't have to figure it out anymore. I, I know. And that's life. This is life rooted in love. You are beloved you could not be more loved than you are loved. This is rooted in love. This is defined by love. This is life sustained by love. 
Oh, what great love, as we saw last night, was displayed on the cross of Calvary. This is love that goes, that spares no expense. This is love that will go all the way to humanity from heaven above to make you alive. This is a life of justice in a world of injustice and unfairness, in a world where the the haves get so much and the have-nots get forgotten. This is the life of justice from the God of justice who sees the orphan and the widow and the refugee and the stranger and who sets his love upon them. That's what this life is about. Now, of course, you're sitting there going, okay, I don't really feel that way. I mean, I had a hard day today. And I want to say this. What we proclaim, this miracle, the reality of resurrection, hasn't yet come in full. You know that. I know that. The Bible teaches that. That's not a surprise. What happened to Jesus in one great miraculous act of the power of God happens to you and me in two acts. First, the rebirth and renewal on the inside. A genuine resurrection, a genuine gift of new life. Paul says, if any man is in Christ, behold, new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. This is not a joke. It's true. And you've been made new. You've been born again, as as Jesus says in John 3. You're alive. And yet, your body gets old or gets sick and dies. You live in a world where relationships, even your relationships, are easily broken. You still feel at times mastered by the body of sin, the mortal flesh that you still indwell, whose passions at times seem too strong for you. Paul says this. He says, outwardly, you and I are wasting away. But inwardly, inwardly, by the power of Christ, we are being renewed day by day into a deeper and fuller and greater expression of life. And in that renewal, as we await, we await his coming again when that second part, the body will be renewed, just like his. And we will stand physically, as we stand now spiritually with him on that resurrection shore, praising honoring and giving thanks to him. This is true. This is why the early Christians were known by the the nations around them for their lack of fear of death. This is why Jesus says to Martha, though you die, yet will you live. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. You're already on the other side. You're already now the new deathless humanity over whom sin has no dominion. So what does that mean for us today? The heart of this passage, Paul urges us in light of this amazing truth, in light of what we celebrate with Jesus being raised from the dead, in light of the amazing grace of God who loves us so deeply, Paul urges us to live into the fullness of this life, this resurrection life. 
That's the burden of this passage in Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Here's the reality. We've been brought into the party. We're on the inside of life. We are alive. And what Paul is saying in this text is don't linger on the edges feeling awkward because you don't like to dance, because you don't like to be in the center, you know, you don't like to be in the midst of it. I know this metaphor is challenging for people like me who are introverts. (laughs) But Paul is saying, come out on the dance floor. Enjoy the feast. Enjoy the drinks. Come into the fullness of life more and more. Don't offer the members of your body to sin anymore. It has no power over you. The amazing freedom. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live riddled by anxiety. We don't have to live riddled by uncertainty. We don't have to live in the cloud around us. But Paul says, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Come to life more and more. Walk away from the sin that's diminishing your life and that's diminishing your humanity and that's hurting the body of Christ and that's hurting you and embrace righteousness, embrace holiness. And guess what? You're thinking, okay, I don't feel like I'm in the midst of the party. And I know. But the reality is, is that at the depth of all of this, abundant life is here. waiting to be grasped and to be lived into, even in the hardest of circumstances. If you've clung to Jesus by faith, you have landed safely on resurrection ground. And sin has no dominion over you. And you're now free and empowered to walk by his power in the newness of life. The same power that raised Jesus bodily from the dead is the the power that is at work in your life and in mine to lead us from one degree of glory to another. Do you believe that? Really, do you believe that? It's true. Where do you need this power to be at work? Where are you prone to clinging on to the sin of this world? Where are you submitting in your life again to the yoke of slavery? To death and to sin? Jesus is alive. You're free. You're alive. You're new. My hope and longing is that the joy of this night is your joy, your reality, your opportunity. May these amazing truths, may this amazing act of God lead us to dive more deeply into Jesus, more fully into his abundant life, and to embody in our lives and our life together at Church of the Cross his victory. He has conquered, and so have you. He's alive, and so are you.
He is new. And so are you.